Merch heads. Merch heads unite! I am am Mercedes, a member of the marketing team at Merchandise. And today, Alex, thanks for taking the time to talk a little bit today. Alex is our CEO, Alex Fila. Where are you today? Uh, I'm in beautiful uh, Portland, Oregon, on a rare sunny day for Portland. Beautiful. Um, So today we're going to talk a little bit about social fashion and digital identity, right? Uh, How can can we help reality keep up with a virtual world and how to turn NFTs into human apparel, right? So Alex, since almost 10 years, you've been in this social e-commerce frenzy, right? Uh, you were part of the founding team of Teespring back in 2013. Yep. So could you quickly describe what social e-commerce looked like in the early days back then? Yeah, I mean, um, I think we, uh, I don't know if we were the first one to like really discover it. There was a lot of uh, other companies doing similar things, but um, we were, I think, really one of the first companies to really uh, hit this huge opportunity of um, selling e-commerce products through social media channels um, and then leveraging, uh, you know, social media pages and advertising and influencers to sell those products into communities that might not otherwise have seen them or bought them. Um, and, and really, you know, when we kind of, um, the way that we discovered it was, you know, our, the, the two co-founders of Teespring had built this, um, this app that was kind of like a Kickstarter for t-shirts. Um, it, it allowed you to, you know, upload a design, select a t-shirt or a hoodie, um, you know, or a few different products. And then you could um, uh, set a goal, right? Which there was a minimum because we used all screen printing at the time, which is a batch process. I'll go into that in, in, in just a sec, but, um, uh, but it essentially allowed you to pre-sell t-shirts that didn't exist that was the big idea um, on the internet and then there was no inventory waste because only the exact amount of garments that were ordered um, were actually produced and then individually shipped to the customers so that was you know for for me um, at the time i was coming from a supply chain logistics um, transportation background and when I started talking to um, uh, Walker, who's one of my friends actually from St. Louis, uh, who was the founder, uh, one of the co-founders of Teespring, um, I started learning about the screen printing process that, or some people might think of it as um, silk, some people might call it silk screening, but it's essentially, you know, how, how you would, it's the standard way of, of printing on um, fabric kind of at scale. Um, and you use these screens that have this really thick ink that um, uh, gets pushed through the screen with a squeegee. And it's a very manual process, but it, it can produce very, very good results, very consistent results if you know what you're doing. And it's kind of like the gold standard for putting ink on textiles for, um, for, any, for any brand, whether that's uh, you know my local coffee shop here in Portland um, or Starbucks or Nike or Adidas or you know a- a- any brand that's involved in that. And so um, uh, I think what we discovered was just taking that same technology, the screen printing, and then finding a new way of selling it 
that really had not uh, taken hold before, which was kind of pre-selling online, then you know collecting all the order information, uh, sourcing the garments, sourcing the printing, and then individually uh, shipping out each order to each customer. Um, and so, you know, I think when we started, we really thought it was going to be a uh, a good solution for charities to leverage their their uh, to fundraise, essentially. And then we kind of got pulled in this different direction with uh, with Facebook. And at the time, Facebook was there was no ads, um, there were no uh, there was no paid reach or any concept of. I, I don't even think Facebook um, was was really monetizing their audience at that point in time. They were just growing their audience. And so, if you had a Facebook page that had you know six hundred thousand uh, members or six hundred thousand people liked the page. You could post one post like, you know, I could post this, a post about this shirt and then everybody's going to see it. All 600,000 people are, are going to see it. And um, so that's kind of how we, we, this community found us and we kind of found them. And then it created this, this wave of, um, you know, new types of uh, sellers and entities selling branded merch and decorated apparel. To, to, to audiences that might not traditionally buy through those channels. You know, these audience audiences might be buying uh, t-shirts at Walmart or Target or whatever, you know, typical retail store that they shop at. Um, and now we were showing them a much more personalized uh, garment through Facebook um, that kind of speaks to them more personally. And that was the big kind of aha moment. And I think really that, that um, that wave kind of took us from 2012 to or 2013 um, to 2016, maybe, or maybe about 2014. The next wave was really this internet marketer community that came in where now you could take that same kind of um, uh, pre-order uh, pre uh, uh, campaign and you could apply it to a, uh, you could basically push it through an ad. So now that opened it up to people that didn't have large audiences and people that were trying to create large audiences. So through, you know, through advertising and targeted ads on Facebook, um, you know, Facebook be essentially built the most um, sophisticated and efficient and effective uh, advertising platform in the world because you can target, you know, any person based on their interests, uh, any type of demographic or, you know, variable about them. Um, and people uh, share pretty openly about themselves on Facebook. And so um, that's kind of, I, I think there was this big, you know, I, I call that whole uh, industry print on demand. And that's a very common term right now, like print on demand, POD. Um, there was lots of other companies that came up, uh, you know, after Teespring. And then there's lots of um, print on demand marketplaces and platforms that kind of do similar things. Um, on the internet right now, there's, you know, um, you know, uh, there's a uh, Redbubble, you know, Threadless, uh, Society6, Teespring, Guten, there's a lot of them now. Um, and they all kind of use similar, um, uh, they all kind of use similar technology uh, to, to serve that same community, that print on demand kind of social commerce or social e-commerce community. And I think now what our mission at Merchandise is, is to now open that up to um, the traditional branded merch market 
or you know, some people call it promotional products, decorated apparel. Uh, I call it branded merchandise as a, as a whole global category. And it's about a $70 billion market. So what we're trying to do you know, at Merchandise is to take kind of the traditional market that's never really leveraged um, the e-commerce, print on demand, you know, efficient supply chains that, that don't have all these friction points and to convert a lot of that business over to, um, you know, our new ecosystem that has print on demand, but also has some of the traditional uh, manufacturing as well and, and, and sourcing and, and traditional elements that they need. So sorry for the long, uh, yeah. the long answer to start, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, that's, there's that's very interesting. Yeah, so there's a lot of history that's gone into this. Yeah, Facebook fan pages were social e-commerce, and then you know Facebook, uh, Facebook Marketplace came, right? Yep. Controversial publications there, and now we have the metaverse. Yep. Right. Yep. So now we've arrived to this point, like right, yeah. like from Facebook fan pages and, to and, the metaverse. Now we have truly strong virtual communities, right. just like those, you know, fan pages. I love when you say the I love dogs fan page. I think I want to be part of that. Yeah. Uh, of that community, <laughs> which is that is so Facebook. That is so 2013, 14. Right. Um, um, so, you know, you could see the, the strong commitment of communities that would, you know, buy products. Now that we have this, all this virtual identity blooming, right? Um, in your experience, you've seen that you've, you've seen the process and the evolution of e-commerce and social um, commerce. So, how can brands interact with these communities yeah. that are so you know strong, that meaningful? So, how can they interact to not just create you know regular merchandise, but actually produce products that mean something to them? Yep. So I, I think that um, kind of the next, the next evolution from uh, the social commerce was e-commerce plus print-on-demand. So now um, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of print-on-demand instances where you'll have a custom e-commerce front end. Sometimes it's on Shopify, sometimes it's on other platforms um, powered by kind of a print-on-demand back end. So that's like the web 2.0 version of uh, kind of the next web 2.2.0 iteration of what I'm what, what we've been talking about with print on demand and um, So that's kind of when when I started merchandise. That was the trend that I was seeing was uh, you know especially it was right around when when COVID happened and uh, an e-commerce went from you know 11% of retail in the United States to 16% in you know about six months um, and there was just this crazy transition away from traditional retail over to e-commerce and a strong demand for supply chains that can support those. So and originally when we started Merchandise, we were, we, our North Star was um, uh, e-commerce, web 2.0, um, uh, you know, for, for brand, with branded merch and, and to build a whole ecosystem around it. And um, so, you know, I think there's th part of, part of what brands need is solutions around e-commerce and now uh, the metaverse and web3 we'll get into that in a second so that's like part of it and part part of what um, the print on demand community 
I think kind of struggled to provide uh, in a significant way for, for, for larger brands. Um, and then the other piece that they really need, I think the piece, and this is probably the most foundational piece uh, to, to why we started Merchandise and I think where probably most, uh, probably the most significant amount of value that customers are gonna get from Merchandise comes in the physical product, right? So when, I, um, when we started doing social commerce, it was all uh, batch processes, all screen printing, embroidery, you know, these traditional manufacturing uh, methods that require kind of large uh, minimum orders they have a lot of manual process so they're not super you can't you know it's not easy to turn around in one or two days and ship to customers super quick and and, and give them a great experience on the on the e-commerce side um, and so we got a lot of those companies got into um, uh, these digital technologies specifically direct to garment which is a method of um, it's it's like these big expensive digital printers I was actually a co-inventor of, of one of them, so I was pretty deep uh, in this world. And, um, and, and they essentially um, kind of use these chemicals to treat the, the garment, and then that kind of tricks the garment into being able to receive uh, you know, digital ink on it directly. This is not a digital print, this is a screen print. Um, a screen print is typically gonna have you know, really solid colors, really good vibrancy you can wash it uh you know 20 30 times everybody has their favorite um t-shirt from 20 you know, i'm dating myself but like however long ago is old to you right and then uh and then and it's like just starting to crack you know but the ink is still kind of hanging on and and the shirt's nice and soft um well with with direct to garment you know it, it, all of the um the the, the color the vibrancy uh, the the durability of the ink on the garment are all very much subpar to screen printing in the sense that now a screen printing is uh, um, it's almost like an art form so there's a large spectrum of quality in terms of screen printing right so you know the person that's silk screening in their garage uh, might not be working with Nike or you know the big brands whereas uh, you know, you have these large screen printing facilities that have these big automated, you know, carousels that are doing hundreds of thousands of units a day. Um, but it, it's it's a technology that's a lot more mature uh, and is capable of putting out very stable quality if you know what you're doing. Um, and so with deep, you know, with um, direct to garment, the big issue with the, the traditional branded merch industry is that in order to gain the benefit of having no inventory, uh, having this you know very efficient supply chain where products can just be pre-ordered and produced and shipped to the customer on demand, well, the trade-off of that is the product quality. And so, for any brand, kind of going back to my my earlier example, right? Whether it's um, you know Fresh Pot, my local uh, one of my local coffee shops here in Portland, or Starbucks, right? If they get a shirt that you know is kind of disappointing, or uh, you know washes off after a few washes, or you know there's there's little defects in the print or things like that, they're going to be equally disappointed, right? And so it doesn't matter if it's a mega brand or a micro brand. The way that I kind of um, uh, uh, delineate a brand 
versus like an internet marketer. I think an internet marketer kind of is trying to create a brand, but they're not, they're not a brand that has inherent value because they're trying to use data and advertising to kind of like create that value and quickly capitalize on uh, the revenue opportunity associated with it. Whereas brand, traditional brands, um, their name and their likeness is associated with the quality and they're in the business of having that uh, value compound over time. So, you know, if your brand, you know, just like, um, I don't know how long the Fresh Pot has been here in Portland. This is a good, this is a great coffee shop, by the way. So shout out to Fresh Pot. But, um, but so I don't know how long they've been, they've been in Portland, but, you know, they have a community, they have really engaged customers. Um, they've, they've been building quality and value in their brand name uh, over, over years, and that's been compounding. So if we were to give them uh, disappointing merch, we probably wouldn't get any more business from them. Whereas if an internet marketer or one of the print-on-demand platforms produces kind of a disappointing result, well, there's no real, um, there's no real brand to hold accountable. You know, it, it's, it's like a, um, it was sold through an internet marketer, through a platform, maybe somebody bought it through Facebook, uh, and, you know, it was just kind of a, uh, you know, in their mind, kind of a cheap shirt. But if you go to the Nike store and you buy a shirt for you know thirty or forty dollars, and you know it's it's at all disappointing, that's that's not okay. And so, the, uh, sorry for for, the, for another long answer here, but I, I have to set up the two pieces that are so important to brands first before we can get into kind of like how we maximize their value in Web two and Web three. So to start, you have to have the foundation. Uh, the infrastructure and the foundational ecosystem that can support number one, their product uh, quality and assortment, and number two, um, the uh, the e-commerce, the, the digital commerce experiences that they're looking for, which currently um, in most brands that we talk to uh, is e-commerce, right? Web 2.0. So a lot of, you know, I mean, uh, it it shocked me to find out a few years ago that even e-commerce, like Web 2.0 e-commerce uh, in the United States, which is the most mature e-commerce uh, market in the world, was only 11% of retail, right? So, uh, you know, the overwhelming majority of retail was still buying things in physical stores uh, and, you know, the traditional way with traditional manufacturing. And so with um, uh, now we've got this e-commerce frenzy right? And then even faster coming behind that is this Web3 metaverse frenzy. And so I think num num our, our first mission is to give brands a really good experience in, um, uh, in the Web2 space and, and e-commerce with really, really high quality products. However, we're, we're starting to dip our toes into uh, the metaverse with things like, um, you know, next week we're going to be launching uh, crypto payments, uh, you know, accepting and paying out in, in crypto. Um, we're looking at potentially uh, uh, minting NFTs for merch as well, um, because essentially, you know, with 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 merchandise as it stands, we can kind of create um, very custom e-commerce experiences for brands uh, with a team that you know, a, a similar team that brands would used to be working with for, for that type of, um, you know, that type of B2B uh, interaction. And then we also have Merch Farm, which is our factory um, that has 
you know, the, the latest and greatest uh, on-demand technologies in the world, which is direct transfer film uh, and dye sublimation and kind of in a, in a uh, micro factory setting that I've never seen before. You know, um, we, we kind of have the ability to, you know, on the direct transfer film side, um, that, that gives us kind of like the on-demand screen printing in a sense. Um, and in some cases it's, it's, you know, it's almost superior to screen printing in a lot of cases, but the, the color, the clarity, um, the, the, the positioning, the uh, flexibility on, on fabrics, um, it, it's, it's all possible with, with this direct transfer film technology, but it's relatively new technology that, um, that doesn't really exist in the market yet. So, you know, we had to kind of basically build a production facility, uh, not only build a production facility, but we, we did the research on, you know, kind of in the manufacturer OEM uh, landscape and we partnered with the best-in-class manufacturer right now, um, Coldesi, to have and formed a strategic partnership with them, where we're actually, uh, you know, developing workflow management solutions. Uh, you know, we're working with their color scientists on custom color profiles uh, to match Pantones for brands and things like that. So, and and then um, Alex Young, our chief revenue officer, one one of one of my partners. Um, he kind of took his existing dye sublimation process, which for anybody, so maybe just to back up a sec, um, direct transfer film is, it's a new transfer process for textiles where you can essentially print on a roll of film uh, with digital printers. And then there's a powdered adhesive that goes onto the film and that gets dried with a heat press. And once, once that has been cured, that, that can now be cut and pressed onto any fabric. Uh, and and there, it has perfect color, perfect clarity. It never washes off. Um, the, the feel of the ink is very consistent, so it doesn't have a thick sandpapery feel to it. And actually, a lot of, um, a lot of the big brands are already using it, Nike, Adidas. Uh, so it's, it's kind of already out there in, in the brand world in, in, in uh, small kind of R&D uh, launches. And, um, and it, it basically removes, it allows us to print on any type of garment, which means that we can now print on ultra high quality fashion garments. We can print on polyester garments, on nylon garments, on denim, on leather. Um, and then it also unlocks our ability to, to put uh, prints anywhere on the garment. So, you know, sleeve prints, uh, we, I'll get to the NFT thing in a second, but this I'm setting what I'm setting up is the foundation for why we're able to, why we're so well positioned um, to, to kind of go after this market. But basically, so there's the DTF side and then there's the die sub side, the die sub, you know, Alex, uh, his company, AY, they have been producing um, ultra, ultra premium athleisure products for uh, and sportswear products for some of the largest um, athleisure brands and sportswear brands, uh, swimwear brands in the world, um, including his own previous uh, swimwear brand. And so, you know, dye sublimation is also a transfer process, but it's 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 done on a larger scale that is uh, that essentially happens at the fabric level. So with dye sublimation, you're printing on these really long rolls of paper. Um, that get uh, uh, where you're printing it's digital inkjet ink on this special paper 
and you're printing essentially panels of, of things that are going to be cut and sewn. And so there's a digital printing process and then the paper gets matched up with fabric, whatever type of fabric it's gonna be transferred on. Dye sublimation only works with polyester um, or, or polyester-based fabrics. So you're starting with some base polyester uh, and then putting that dye sublimation paper on, putting it through a heat press, a roller heat press, um, so that it transfers, chemically transfers onto that fabric. And that's how you know every uh, you know high-end legging that has printing on it, or um, athleisure wear, you know any type of like um, you know leggings or uh, swimsuits or you know sports bras or all that kind of stuff is is made with dye sublimation. And the the difference between having really good quality and really bad quality is the fabrics, the ability to actually cut and sew. Um, so we have a full uh, full sewing uh, crew in Southern California that's you know been doing this for uh, for some of them for 30 plus years. We have a technical designer um, that has been working for some of the largest uh, sportswear brands for the last 30 years that understands you know silhouettes and uh, you know all this stuff that I don't understand. <laughs> but um, but basically, it's kind of like uh, all of the components that would need to go into making a full-on fashion brand, you know, not just um, kind of cheap promotional type uh, products that are quickly created with DTG and they say Gildan in the back, you know. Um, our, products, our, our products are going to be all ultra premium t-shirts with, you know, really perfect prints. Uh, you know, private, you know, labeled with the brand in the back with, you know, all kinds of little, little features um, combined yeah. with ultra premium uh, sportswear. And so we believe that those two, um, those two technologies combined with the, uh, the services that can all kind of, uh, you know, do the designs, do the, you know, kind of like um, build the products in the e-com setting, plus the custom e-commerce front end, we believe that that's really the ultimate solution for print on demand for brands right now. And that's why we're focusing on, on this at the moment. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get us, uh, we're not, you know, it doesn't, there's certain niche types of printing, uh, printing with foil or glitter, uh, you know, uh, puff printing, like super high density. So there's like special effects and stuff that we, we're not going to be able to support right now. We're not focusing on that at the moment. We're focusing on, you know, the majority of, of the premium uh, fashion, you know, uh, branded merch business. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you, because, uh, you know, going back to digital assets and identity, yeah. I was going to say, I know you're an expert on the field, so you tell me what would be the printed techniques you would choose to materialize, you know, digital identity into the human world. So. And, I, now I know hands down that's dye sub and direct transfer film. Yep. That's yep. Very and, interesting. And so, so I had to go into kind of a technology deep dive just so that the audience can and everybody can understand. Uh, we, I mean, we, we've been building this technology in some cases for 10 plus years, you know, iteratively getting to this point. And now we find with the direct transfer film and the, uh, the, the way that we've set up the dye sublimation with the software that we've developed to run the factory, um, we're now capable of 
assigning digital identity to things in a way that's really never been possible before. So for example, um, and, and this is, this is where, uh, <laughs> the future has come a lot faster than even I, I live in the future and I'm like a futurist, but, uh, I'm, I'm even amazed at how fast the future has arrived on our doorsteps. And so, you know, getting into this web three metaverse conversation, digital identity, um, I, you know, I, I am not uh, a, uh, a novice to crypto. You know, I've been investing in crypto since 2015. Uh, I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very well researched on, um, you know, a lot of the, the DeFi stuff and, and the things that are happening in that world. The part of that world that I really knew nothing about was NFTs. And the, for, for me, um, the real value of an NFT is the fact that it revolutionizes proof digital to physical proof, right? That's essentially what an NFT gets. You know, there's all this, a lot of people when they think about NFTs, they're just thinking about uh, digital images on the internet being sold for wild speculative valuations and things like that. And that is happening and that is a huge opportunity for, for a lot of brands. But but really we believe the biggest thing, uh, the biggest game changer with NFTs is, is what it does for um, uh, digital to physical proof in the sense that it's guaranteeing the authenticity of a product and also the ownership of a product that's tied to it, both digital and physical. That's a huge game changer. And you can already see this, you can already see how this is gonna um, disrupt things like luxury uh, goods. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's you know, really uh, premier wineries that sell, you know, $6,000 bottles of wine that are looking at creating NFTs, um, you know, per bottle, right? And there's all kinds of different data that you can kind of, uh, you know, put into an NFT, especially if you, depending on the physical device that you have. So, um, you know, we, because we've built this uh, ecosystem and the foundation that can create all these different fashion products, we can have perfect prints uh, anywhere on the product and the, the other big key, because it's all on demand, is that we can support variable data, which means that every single unit that we produce can have a different design, can have a different collection of prints. Um, it could be personalized, right? So we have a, we have a personalization um, engine where we could have names and numbers and you know things like that for team sports. Well, uh, we can also take that into a, uh, you know, a little code that we can reference different things. And so what's really, in, we, I think the NFT community kind of found us because um, there's a lot of NFT communities that are looking to create full on fashion lines and the, the product quality that a lot of the print on demand marketplaces and platforms are putting out just isn't, isn't really aligned with what they want. And the other thing that they want uh, are, are to be able to um, represent that digital identity in very unique ways on the physical product so i uh we'll do a deep dive on once we once we do our nft launch uh with our first few launches i'm going to be really excited to show you like exactly what i mean on on the products some of it's uh a little bit top secret so i can't i can't show you right now but i can basically okay. i can tell you that you know things like having um a code that references an individual nft uh, that can be printed on the garment, um, things like, you know, on, on the dye sublimation side, 
that there's even more possibilities because we're actually fully cutting and sewing a garment. So we can take, you know, any type of panel, uh, any type of garment that's a collection of panels and essentially recreate that one of one. Um, so you could see how that could be, you know, uh, applicable to avatars and the metaverse or, you know, digital fashion items uh, in the metaverse. If you go look, there's a there's a, um, a platform called Roblox, which is selling a lot of these digital items in the metaverse. You know, essentially every one of those digital T-shirts, leggings, whatever, whatever apparel item, even some of the home goods items, um, we can actually recreate one of one exact replica uh, in, in our Southern California factory. And we can put a code on that product that references the NFT, the digital item. So, you know, kind of, I think the vision is having a truly, um, uh, a truly bi-directional um, uh, mechanism for um, merch in the metaverse, right? So, or digital to physical. So being able to have uh, uh, digital products from the metaverse, Web3, being reproduced one of one in the United States uh, or close to the customer. In few, it, we're, uh, we hope to be in different, re in, you know, future regions as well. But the theme is close to the customer, made efficiently, on demand, uh, with their digital identity printed into the garment. And that's where I think, um, you know, we don't really see anybody uh, you know, doing stuff like this in this space because, and, and I think it's, I think it's primarily because um, it's really hard to meet the quality expectations of uh, the, of the NFT communities that are, that are kind of bigger uh, and, and, and are selling really, really premium, um, you know, digital art pieces or, or, or you know, um, they have a, a very premium association with their brand. Um, yeah. and so that's where I think it's all, it's all going. And then the, the thing I think that's really exciting about that is that all the, all the mega brands, they all want the NFT stuff too. So as yeah. soon as we create a mechanism for, uh, having that, you know, sort of, um, uh, guaranteeing digital identity, both digitally and physically, um, you know, we're, we're kind of just getting started. The, 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 the NFT community, the digital art NFT community um, is really just one very, very small piece of a much broader val you know, uh, customer base that would all want that type of thing. So that's why we're really totally. excited about it. Totally. So I hear you say quality. I hear you say Southern California proximity. Um, what's your take on domestic and near shore production coming back? coming back. I th so I think just my, uh, my broader philosophy on how garments are manufactured and how um, the, the retail uh, merchandise supply chain works is that it's just really inefficient and full of waste. And it doesn't make any sense, especially given the current environment that we're in with, uh, you know, supply chain issues at an all time high, geopolitical tensions, um, you know, climate change, all these other sort of, you know, trends that are converging on us all at once. Um, it doesn't really make sense to produce, uh, produce an idea for something and then have it take eight to 12 months through all these different intermediaries around the world to be produced. 
and and brands are now seeing that because that strategy is not working. They you know they can't get their um, uh, they can't get their products into the ports that they need them. They're having all kinds of supply chain issues, uh, you know, going through their distribution channels. And so everybody's kind of rethinking how we can create a supply chain that is a lot more efficient and um, and 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 doesn't have these problems. And if you look at like, so I, you know, I'm not a um, I'm not like a, an evangelist for everything made in the USA and this and that, or everything only made in the country that uh, that it, that that it's being sold in. I'm just an evangelist for supply chains that work, that are efficient, that can support, um, you know, on demand. And one, the way that we're doing that in the United States is number one, we have uh, Merch Farm, which is our um, uh, DTF dye sub facility in Southern California. And Merch Farm is going to expand, so it will, it will, it will expand to other uh, parts of the United States. We're also opening a um, cut and sew facility in Mexico, in northern Mexico, in uh, later this year to really expand the cutting and sewing capability. Um, and that's, you know, if, if you're trying to do cutting and sewing at scale for, uh, you know, athleisure brands and, and, you know, major partnerships, the amount of capacity that you need and, and kind of the level of skill that you need for that um, is very, very difficult to find anywhere in the United States. We have it in Los Angeles, and that's why we're that's why our, you know our kind of hub is based there. But we realize that uh, there's going to be additional capacity needs quickly, and so you know if you think about um, we're talking about a seventy billion dollar industry, right? And so if you think about what that what that looks like on a unit perspective in terms of like number of shirts, number of hoodies, number of all these different products. It's just staggering the the scale of it, right? And and that's why, that's why globalization has worked so well over the last uh, you know five decades or or whatever, however long it's been, um, because of, because it's it's able to produce the economies of scale that's needed, uh, and there's a very um, uh, there you know it's it's very clear how all of the intermediaries and everything are going to get individual pieces of that greater you know value stream but um but now you know it's really all about we, we have to be able to recreate that scale in a more decentralized way so one and this could come in many different flavors many different variations uh but one way that it could look is that you know you have similar um production resources in different regions of the world that are all leveraging similar raw material supply chains that don't necessarily have to come from, uh, you know, fr from uh, five or six different continents. Now, obviously, things like semiconductors, electronics, uh, you know, certain raw materials. Like when you get into, um, you know, manufacturing uh, digital inks for, um, you know, for inkjet print heads, you you start realizing that you know there's there's only a few sources for some of the raw materials in the world. So it can't be applied to everything, but certainly on the manufacturing side, on the distribution side, uh, on the inventory side, we should be able to have um, uh, micro factories and mega factories that can support different regions that are very self-sufficient, that don't, don't have all these friction points of you know uh, overseas product coming in. So to show you how we're doing that at Merchandise, and this is just where you know, this, we're gonna be iterating on this constantly, but the way, that the way that we've created this kind of unique supply chain at Merchandise is by having our Southern California uh, factory, the Merch Farm, 
um, opening the Ensenada factory for over uh, Mexico for overflow cut and sew. And that service uh, does not require any ports. We essentially are going to be importing um, full cut and sew products directly into the United States without even stopping. So there's no there's no port friction, customs, you know, no worry about that. And then um, we're we're planning on taking our um, our software for production, actually kind of the whole stack. And we want to we want to leverage this with traditional uh, decorators, screen printing shops, embroidery shops, uh, in, in in a way where we can um, number one uh, start to offer some of those batch services, but just in in smaller quantities domestically for brands. But number two, help them become more uh, e-commerce ready and more print-on-demand ready. Because if we can take, you know, there, there's 37,000 screen print shops uh, in the United States. I don't know how many more embroidery shops or, uh, you know, are out there. But the question is, if if there was a very easy uh, plug and play solution to starting uh, an apparel manufacturing facility, and it could be kind of, uh, you could kind of have it on any scale that you want, right? Like maybe I could have a small operation in my garage and then work my way up to a mega operation that has lots of different, um, you know, uh, lots of different equipment. Um, I think one of the, the, the reasons why a lot of people aren't doing that is because it's the, the technology doesn't exist. So if you go buy a bunch of screen printing presses and embroidery machines, you know, uh, you don't, you can't just go plug into e-commerce accounts and start doing business with them. You have to figure out like, how, you know, what they want, how, how to receive orders, how to get the inventory, how to map, you know, there's all this that goes into it. And so I think the next, the next wave of how we scale uh, operations is going to be in a more decentralized way where we can leverage some of this technology um, with the actual supply chain that goes into uh, to making these garments in the form of, um, you know, uh, garment manufacturers, fabric suppliers, uh, ink suppliers, uh, packaging companies, uh, screen printers, uh, people that are uh, doing DTF printing, you know, all these these different pieces, and then kind of creating a um, uh, creating some consistency, uh, so that brands feel comfortable putting, you know, a lot of their production through kind of a more decentralized um, uh, solution. But that's so, you know, and, and the other piece too is that we've started, um, like for example, at Merch Farm, we offer multiple different fabric types for, uh, for, for, for premium cut and sew garments. So, you know, all the way uh, at the top, there's this Italian fabric that can produce like a $200 price point legging. We still have to get that fabric from Italy because it's, it's the only source for it in the world. Um, and, and, and so we have, you know, we're kind of limited on, on how much we can offer. But, uh, but AY um, has kind of switched all of his polyester fabric sourcing away from Taiwan to Central America. You know, and when you look at, when you look at polyester fabric, uh, there's only a few sources in the world where you can get that level of fabric that, that you, you would need for, you know, like a Nike, Lululemon type, you know, quality of, of, of product. Um, um, and 
I think I, I think Nike and Lululemon are suing each other right now. I probably sh- probably shouldn't have used oh, that as an example. But uh, or I think Nike might be suing Lululemon. I, I, I'll have to check. But but to get to that level of quality, there's only a few sources where you can buy fabric, right? And especially in the quantities yeah. that you need at scale. So even for us, having the fabric come from Central America instead of coming from Asia is more strategic for us because we don't have to deal with ports. You know, we can we can bring it up, you know, into the continent of the United States, not have to deal with ocean ports and things like that. And it's going to be different every year. You know, every year there's going to be some new supply chain friction point. And I think, um, you know, we're always going to be ready to kind of like uh, make adjustments and um, think about things in, in a new way to be able to respond to that quickly. Totally. It's all about keeping up. Yeah. We'll do a deep dive on tech and sustainability in another episode, because I think like traditional schools um, usually see tech as the antagonist, when in fact, it's all about smart implementation. That's right. And it can help so much to have a tech strategy, help people and the environment. Yeah. And it's about time we, we spread the voice about it. It's kind of like, uh, I, I love this quote from um, from Elon Musk recently. I don't, if anybody's been following um, Tesla's development, you know, the big, essentially this entire year, they have just been building infrastructure. So all they've been focused on is building factories, uh, you know, changing, improving the battery technology so that it's better, uh, you know, improving the supply chain, redesigning chips so that they can be easier to source. But the big, the big, big idea uh, with with well, there's many big ideas. But one one of the big ideas that really resonated with me is, you know, the, uh, this concept of the factory is the product. You know, and I think so often p- people think about you know these factories and these manual pieces and the supply chain and the traditional way to kind of incorporate all those things is in a very manual. Uh, slow way, long lead times, sending emails and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, with Merch Farm, we're seeing what can happen when you have this integrated, uh, all these processes integrated, and then having it integrated with um, uh, kind of the broader, you know, te- like the, the order management and the e-com, all, all kind of um, uh, in a vertically integrated uh, technology model. You know, we we believe that the factory is the product as well, and you're going to need consistent um, uh, factory, you know, consistent uh, decoration factories and cutting and sewing factories that are capable of of producing things uh, very efficiently and decentralized. So, um, shout out to Elon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shout out to Elon. Totally. So to, to wrap it up, because I don't want to take more of your time. I could um, be here all day, Mechi, if you want. So yeah. <laughs> we could just go into, you know, happy hour. And I know, I, I, this is my favorite yeah, thing in the I world to that. do. So uh, hopefully it's I didn't bore anyone. Happy hour episode too, we could do a happy hour sure. edition. But yeah. Last question. And it's, it's merch inspired, actually, by your T-shirt today. Mm-hmm. Favorite pizza flavor. Oh, my gosh. Let us know cheese for sure. I'm a classic cheese guy, but I do appreciate. Okay. So, uh, so one of the ones that I didn't used to like that I actually love now is, uh, my wife's favorite, which is, uh, uh, Hawaiian. 
<laughs> bacon and pineapple or ham and pineapple. A lot of people, I used to be a not pineapple on pizza guy. I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid now because I kind of like the sweet, salty combination. Um, and there's a really good, uh, Portland is an amazing pizza city. Um, but there's a, uh, there's a really good pizza, pizza place in our neighborhood that, that does, um, the, the pork and pineapple combination really well. But other than that, you know, pepperoni, cheese, uh, I think cheese is kind of the benchmark, right? You know, if you're going to tell, if you're going to test a pizza place out, you know, you need to see what they do with just a basic cheese pizza. Um, and I, I don't know, Mechi, being in Italy, uh, do, do you get, do you get deported from Italy for putting pineapple on pizza? Oh my God. Uh, probably. <laughs> you go to jail. Uh, horse meat, horse meat on pizza. That's like a regular flavor here. Wow. But I haven't seen pineapple yet. I feel like, so uh, from the time uh, I lived in America and I got to meet American people, I feel like all the ones who said pineapple pizza was their favorite were whether from Florida or they were to somebody that was from Latin America. So right. I have my suspicions <laughs> about you saying pineapple pizza. Yeah. That's very funny. Yeah, yeah. It's I've, I've grown to love it. To be honest. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much, you so Mechi, much for putting this time. together. This was really, really fun. No, it's a pleasure. And thank you to the community. And we'll see each other in the next episode. Of All right. Merch. Thanks everyone. Merch heads! <laughs> <laughs>